there's this desperate desire to be special. We always assume that if we are following the main character in a story, it is their story that we are unfolding. It is their journey that presents this progression of the exceptional. We sometimes even forget how special we are in our own organic bodies that serve a purpose. We do not realize the depth of want, of desire, that comes from an outside source that perhaps wants to be like us. Sure, science fiction films and novels have questioned the aspect of the human, the soul, our consciousness, or even our emotions through AI story plots. Comparing a human to a non-human is one way that we can come to terms or even understand how much we do not know about ourselves. We, the creators of these dystopian sci-fi worlds where AI exists, have made ourselves almost godlike. We have established the plot point to always evolve around ourselves because we find ourselves so special and interesting. And within these stories, in the Blade Runner universe, we have questioned ourselves on what makes us so damn special through the eyes of a questionable human and a definite replicant. This is two takes, and this is one shot, an analysis of the Blade Runner universe. Spoilers are ahead. We can only imagine what it could feel like, what it can be imagined like, to see yourself as something real, when really, you're not. A replicant is created by man to essentially pick up after us. We improve them and make them better, placing the underlying code of creative memories to perhaps keep them docile. But again, their intelligence oversteps that mark. They know their memories are fake. So we step it up a notch, give them more life, longer lifespans, and a purpose like a job. But we should know, like many humans, that a job does not define us. And like the replicants asking their creator for more life in 1982's Blade Runner, to Agent K in 2049, refusing orders to do his purpose, his job, we are left wondering, when will the breaking point be? When will the lines blur, the cells interlink between us and replicants? Within the universe of Blade Runner, it seems that line is getting smaller and smaller. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of a lion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of game. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. The famous last words of the replicant named Roy Batty, the man who, looking like Aryan God, reflected his thoughts one last time to the person he just saved, Rick Deckard. Sitting in the rain, it describes in so few words what it means for his life to essentially be out of time. He was a Nexus 6, with a lifespan of four years. 
It wasn't enough time to realise anything, to find purpose, to express, to think. He travels back to Earth to meet his creator, Tyrell, to ask for more time. After given academic reasons as to why he cannot be built to last, his creator tells him to revel in his time, to look upon what he has done with a smile on his face. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. Live fast, die young. Bad boys do it well, but Roy's convictions aren't made to rebel. But here we are, following fighting for something any natural being would want. Time. And with time would come the memories, the reasons, the purpose. We are remembered by others. Our actions tell the test of time based on what we have done and how others recount them. And here, in his final moments, Roy knows that when he goes, he will not come back. And no one will remember him. His unimportance reigns supreme, making us question the very existence and perhaps the unfairness of a replicant's life. Their short lifespan was made to make sure that we, the natural human, were safe. But again, slipping through the cracks, are those replicants that always want more. In this instance, the desires ring true. And when Deckard meets each one, he's reminded of the desperation, the fascination, what it means to be human. And to further the problems that humans and non-humans seem to face, Deckard is the protagonist. We follow him finding himself, falling in love, cynically gathering evidence and becoming conflicted in his mind. But he was not the main character. Roy Batty, his struggles and his quiet way of thinking, is more relatable on screen, and hence, like Deckard, had learnt more about being human from him, we can share the same realisation. Reset your baseline. In blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells interlinked within cells interlinked within one stem. And dreadfully distinct against the dark, a tall white fountain played. This extract from Vladimir Nabokov's novel Pale Fire is about, in so many ways, what the writer saw when he was having a heart attack and his reflection of his near-death experience. I've explored this concept of near-death experiences before in my OA episode, featuring various stories of people's near-death experiences and how most of them are quite unique in their imagery. In this one, there was a white fountain. The imagery, whatever it turns out to be, is meaningful by presenting the possibility that humans have something within themselves that leave the body, then returns with the images that the body can register to the brain. Almost like a dream, it becomes blurry, but still intact. Where do we go within our near-death experiences? Is our physical body just a vessel? This opens up the question of whether humans have a consciousness that can be outside of oneself, by which, in the Blade Runner universe, is sometimes compared as almost freeing against something artificial, like a replicant. So it presents the idea that death isn't the end. However, for replicants, that might be a hidden fear of retirement being the end of their existence. But I think there is more to this than simply a question of existence after a certain period of time. It is about all of it. Life, death, and the in-between of what we do with it. Near-death experiences usually reflect what it means to lose your life, and what it means to possess one. The possession of your life is your identity, and it presents your consciousness. 
It presents the emotions linked to these experiences or inexperiences. Hence why the extract is also used in Kay's Voltkampf test, a fictional test that distinguishes between replicants and humans who elicit emotional responses and the reviewing of physiological responses and reaction time. However, here, in 2049, it is called a post-traumatic baseline test. This test is impacted by empathy, determining the difference between a human and its creation through something that a replicant shouldn't be able to emphasize towards, or be fearful of. But its words are powerful enough to be used to make anyone reflect on its meaning. Now, at the beginning, Kay passed this test, and then he didn't. His journey is a complex one. He was created to retire his own kind, hated by humans, floating in limbo between two worlds and disregarded as anything other than something doing a job. He could be retired at any moment. His only companion, Joy, an AI that is essentially a hologram of the perfect girlfriend. But this is where it gets interesting. Because in those small, intimate moments, we can tell that Kay actually shows feelings towards Joy. They might be replicated, both of them. But there is almost a desperate wanting to show their pleasure, their happiness, their joy. Kay gives her the present of being able to go anywhere she wants, freeing her from the cage of their apartment. And it's sweet, but it also shows an underlying constant within the Blade Runner universe, the concept of what freedom really is. We follow Kay's journey of realising his supposedly implanted stock memories are actually real, which makes him question if they are really his to begin with. No matter the ending or all consequences, this sparked a need for identity. He started to believe in himself, in his possible humanity. He thought, for a brief time, that maybe he was special and the centre of this story. But he isn't. And we see him scream in frustration of almost grasping something and then realising it was never there to begin with. This wasn't about him. He was just a replicant that unearthed the secret of what another replicant had done in the past, to which this can cause repercussions in the future. His memories are that of a very special person that could begin something that wasn't there to begin with, a sense of freedom, of being more human than human. But that doesn't mean his journey was worthless. He holds on to the belief that even though these memories were replicated, that he himself is a replicant of something real. He was real enough for those around him. He forged friendships, gained trust, fought for something, and in reflection, found his own purpose and identified he wasn't the main protagonist of the story. But he was still an important part of it. The best memories were hers, but he got to be a part of it. Like Dr. Frankenstein this monster, it seems we always want to explore what we can make, create it in our own image and make it exceptional, better than us. We always want to go one step further, so it becomes fascinating when we're looking at the Blade Runner timeline because this actually happens. We discovered that within Philip K. Dick's book Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the replicants, or androids as they are named in the book, begin as Nexus Sixes. Like 1982's Blade Runner, set in 2019, the Nexus 6 has a lifespan of four years, the importance based on working off-world, with Roy Batty as one such example.
If you were lucky enough to discover, as I did, that there were many films of the timeline of Blade Runner, available free on YouTube by the way, it paints a picture of the replicants becoming more and more. In 2022, rogue replicants created a blackout of all information three years after the original Blade Runner film, making it easier for their kind to go into hiding. In 2036, we follow Neander Wallace, played by Jared Leto, the corporate giant that took over the Tyrell corporations when they fell apart. He presents the Nexus 7 to the lawmakers and makes the creation of replicants become legal again on Earth. And in 2048, we follow the Nexus 8 replicant, Sapper, as he protects a mother and daughter from being mugged, exposing himself as a replicant, panicking and leaving the scene with evidence of his whereabouts. An intelligent agent finds this, containing Sapper's address, and calls it in. And then we follow Agent K at the very beginning of Blade Runner 2049, hunting him down and retiring him in his house. So, adding the many films from YouTube with the Blade Runner films, it goes like this. From a Nexus 6, with a four-year lifespan with the want of more life, to those same replicants deciding to erase the existence off of the database so they can have some sort of freedom with a questionably long lifespan. It goes further with Nexus 7 controlled replicant that would rather kill itself over you when given the choice, to a Nexus 8, like Sapper who chooses who he protects and who gets attacked based on a form of empathy, without any orders. And then finally, Kay, or Joe. The replicant we follow in Blade Runner 2049. He's a Nexus 9. They are evolving all the time, and the people, or person, who create them must feel pretty good about it. And we see in 2049 that, for Neander, the creator, it becomes an almost obsession to become the godlike father figure of the replicants, seen as angels coming down from above, to have all of the things a human can have, and to do it better. We're talking about procreation, which is what Kay uncovers after retiring Sapper, who has witnessed this miracle. From Tyrell's Nexus 6 replicants, to Rachel's a unique Nexus 7, Decker's purpose wasn't just to fall in love with Rachel, but to also have the replicant show Deckard the meaning of empathy and being human. Roy Batty saves his life, and whether that is by reflex or by observing Deckard and finding him worthy of saving, that isn't the point. Before any of this, Deckard was... lifeless. Roy Batty presented more wanting of life. His epic monologue in the rain shows his tired and beating collapse of how heavy the importance of life can be. Anyone can be scared of death, it seems. And as for Kay, he found purpose and identity through someone else's story, their journey. Learning to further emphasize of what was going on around him, he could be seen that Kay shows more purpose and emotion than the other humans in the film, even to the point of denying orders and choosing to show mercy. Both Deckard, a questionable human, and Kay, a definite replicant, present different paths merging into a single point. They both have discovered or even rediscovered, what it means to be human. Roy Batty showed us his want of more life, his selfless actions driven by the desire to be more like a human, forever lost and washed away in the rain. His attempt, his mission, was lost. Kay dies in the snow, his selfless actions, also driven by the desire of wanting more, will be remembered by Deckard and his daughter, frozen in time as a moment that mattered. 
It seems, whether one wants more time, identity or freedom, being a human all boils down to what you do with what you are given. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what was said, then please support the show from my Patreon. And if you want to know what's happening next, follow my Instagram. To know my day-to-day thoughts, follow my Twitter. And if you want to read what was said instead, then follow my blog, linked elsewhere. With your support, I can only make this better, so again, thank you from the bottom of my heart.